This is <laughs> informal. Yes, I'm speaking today, Vian Clark, a wonderful friend, but more importantly for this discussion, an Olympian, a track and field, a young man that a lot of people look up to, looked up to and still look up to in the world of track and field. And I, I'm so appreciative because I'm taking advantage of our friendship because I really... <laughs> Even as much as, as I tell people, I'm trying to really go more medical with my content. And I think this is useful and interesting and something different. And as I say, I hope it will be of value to others and everyone. So thanks again, Dave. Yeah, man. No, no problem. <laughs> um, I, I wanted to just start by asking something that when I when I called to ask to do the meeting, yeah, very fast 200 times. If anybody has, with the power of Google, they can look and see this time. And you, you were telling me that you elected to do the 400. Could you explain to people why you did that? Oh, yes. Uh, most people um, who uh, found out about me or knew about me after I became an international uh, track sensation, they only know me as a 400 runner. So they 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 didn't they 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 don't and then obviously you didn't have Google and you know YouTube so people have not seen me do anything except the four hundred but um actually I um I was very good um in the at the junior level in the two hundred meters as well I think at my in the junior during my junior years I ran twenty point nine that was my best two hundred. I actually, when I represented Jamaica at the World Junior Championships, I I ran the two hundred, but I've never ran the four hundred when I was a um, when I when I was a um, a junior. I didn't run the four hundred internationally for Jamaica until the senior level. Wow. <laughs> but um, one of the reasons behind making that decision, uh, you know, going back to what we were talking about earlier, was I kind of looked at the my physical um, attributes, what I had. And I was smaller in stature. I wasn't big and muscular when I saw the international U.S. sprinters, Canadian sprinters. You know, in Jamaica, we don't focus a lot on the strength training and lifting weights. So I was never a bulky guy. I probably weighed like 160 pounds back then at my 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 biggest. Well, I'll take that back, probably 150. <laughs> okay. And then typically some of the other U.S. sprinters and the other guys that I had to compete against, they were like, 185, 175 pounds with muscle. Uh, so I knew that I didn't have the muscular strength to survive running a low 20 point and 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 being very successful at the 200. So I decided that uh, the 400 would work better for my body type. And um, and I figured at the time I was assessing it. And uh, so I think that would give me more longevity in the sport if I wanted to be a professional athlete. But that was very astute because uh, I think I was telling you, I was speaking to another athlete uh, and asked her, she does the one and two and why she doesn't do the four, but she said because of the training. She said yeah. she likes the idea, but the training can be a bit much. How, how you made the adjustment to the training? That was no problem? or Well, like I said, me, when coming up and going to Kingston College, I ran the 100 meters. I did the long jump at champs. I ran the 200, the 400, 110 hurdles. Even one year, they need they had me do a decathlon. Wow. <laughs> and I did the, it was a team decathlon, so I didn't do all the events. Mm -hmm. But they know that I was multitasked. So I did long jump, 
um, won the 100, was third in the 110 hurdles. And because everybody else was throwers, I think I won 400 as well. And they put me in the 1500. So I ran a 1500 actually twice when I was in, um, when I was at Casey. So, and did pole vault as well, but obviously <laughs> I wasn't very good at pole vault. I only did pole vault at practice. And the 15, or the, you did well in the 15 in those events. I don't remember my time that I ran in the 15. I just knew that, you know, I went out and tried to use strength on 1500 runners, knowing that I'm a sprinter. So it didn't end up being a very good competition for me. But um, I led the first two laps and then they, they, they just took off and I couldn't stay up with them. But, but um, well, you, met, you mentioned Champs Davion, and I have to ask you about this. You, from Champs, was there the possibility? Because I noticed, and I, I know, I don't. This seems to be a newer area that people can venture. Some, some of the track athletes are going professional, even out of high school. Is that was that, did that ever cross your mind, or it wasn't as popular as? No, it wasn't that. It was not as popular. It, it wasn't an option for us. Um, no mm-hmm. shoe company at the time probably was uh, at a rep locally that was scouting Jamaican talent. You know, if you remember, our glory years were the um, the 1940s and 50s. Right. Then there was a big gap until the end of the 60s going into the 70s where we started having some medalists. Yeah. But if you look at the trend on all those guys, Herb Mack went to University of Illinois. Uh, DQ, Donald Quarry went to Nebraska, then transfers to USC. And Lennox Billy Miller was at USC the whole time. So all the U.S. reps knew that if they wanted to find the next good elite athlete, they would find them when they left Jamaica and got to the U.S. college system. So nobody ever in in their dreams thought that there was a whole nother level of Jamaican top tier athletes that didn't matriculate to college and were just in Jamaica walking around, but they could be the next, you know, and that's how we get Usain Bolt. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they could be the next Usain Bolt. So that side of our um our talent pool in Jamaica was never recruited. And even right now, that side of our talent pool is only recruited to the majority. In track and field, because in the other sports, you know, if somebody doesn't go to high school, nobody goes and say, hey, we have a seven foot seven guy. Let's um put him on the basketball team. Right, you know, we don't yeah. do that. Yeah. You look how many of those seven, seven, seven foot uh, raster men sell um, boom in a market. We could find a basketball team if we wanted to, but nobody's actively recruiting and coaching and teaching these people. So for track and field, you know, if you saw them in college in the U.S., that's how you know they would be elite. And so what's happening now, um, Adidas started coming down, I think, for soccer. Mm -hmm. Then they started leaving a track rep there. And now Puma started, you know, setting a foothold in Jamaica. And then afterwards, then Nike started with um, setting up – and partnering with MVP Track Club, and they have been acting as their local scout, basically finding talented people that don't go after the college system but stay home, local, you know, homegrown kids that they can turn into um, 
world world beaters. So, but, but but answering my question, I, we didn't have that option. Nobody has ever talked to me about professional. Uh, actually, I didn't think about professional track and field. And to be honest, and people are going to say, what, really? Mm-hmm. But it was a different time to think about professional track and field. Until my freshman year of college, I brought the Jamaica junior record in the 400. Yeah. And uh, I, got call, I got a call from from the Jamaica uh, Track and Field Association saying that I was the second fastest Jamaican for the year and I had to make sure I send them my passport so they could get my visa and go to Sweden. But I already had plans for summer. I was going to get a job working at Ericsson mm-hmm. in Miami, Florida. <laughs> and I said, okay, well, maybe I could delay it this year. And um, I mean, instead of getting a summer job, I'm going to try this track and field thing out and that's basically where it started for me, seeing that uh, another way, another opportunity. But I thought, like most people, that something like that for me would be when I'd be 28 years old and I have to dedicate some time to it. And But it all just came around in like a blink of an eye. Oh, that's, that's fascinating. You, so you, you're going back to the athletes that go pro, you have any thoughts on that? Um, you think it's well, good, bad? Yeah, or... well, because I'm a, uh, I, I, well, I used to be a college coach. I'm not coaching anymore. But, I, uh, but because I've seen the U.S. college system, I prefer, and because I went through the, the U.S. college system, I prefer that um, Jamaica's young athletes, they take another route. They don't have to come to college in the U.S., but they could go to college locally if they want in Jamaica. Mm-hmm. But I think those four years, and sometimes we have some late bloomers, it will take about six years. There's a big gap in the strength of an 18-year-old child, I'll call him a child, or a 17-year-old kid mm-hmm. compared to a 20-year-old man. We have a thing called man strength. And you know, countries, uh, country, uh, uh, a countryman strength, and a, a youth is not going to. They don't have the life experience, the mental strength, or the physical strength to handle world class athletics. That's my take on it. It doesn't matter how physically developed that child is; the mus, the muscle, is not developed enough to handle world-class, especially the 100-meter sprinting, the 100-meters um, to meet the finals of the, the, for the for, for the world championships and Olympics is really elite. And you're basically running that world record pace. And you, it's going to take some time for your body to... One year of lifting weights is not enough, I don't think, sufficient. And so when, you, when we send our kids out to compete at that level, at that intensity, there's only one result. His injury, oh, so time career-ending injury. And in that scenario, you don't have track and you don't have anything. If you, yeah, yeah, because you don't have your education. Sometimes, depending on if you don't, if you. Well, I I use Usain as as the best example for it. Usain at sixteen or fifteen years old, two thousand two, the greatest athlete as a junior, you know, king of Jamaica, king of the world juniors, and then. Six years of injuries from 2002 and did not win a med- and didn't show the same type of flair and, and, and pizzazz until the 2008 Olympics when he won gold and broke the world record. It took him six years. 
And that's because the physical aspect is so so important. I don't know if you know the story of Usain, but um, your auntie was actually one of the person that introduced me to him and said, hey, this guy is going to be the real deal. Mm-hmm. And 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 Miss Sonia came and introduced me to him and said, "This is Davy, and you know, this is the guy record your broke at champs." And I said, "Man, good job! You know, keep keep it up. I think you might get somewhere in life." <laughs> <laughs> but I knew he was good. I, I, I was just messing with him. But Usain was five foot five at his first boys championships, and then he came back the next year and he was six foot five. Wow. So physically, he went through a a, a, a growth spurt and a lot of body changes. And then throwing that, throwing on top of that, lifting weights and running every day, you know, that's, you know, that's a recipe for disaster. So that's why he had such a long transition because he had to develop the muscles to catch up to his bone, his bone growth. And that is not something that can be developed in six months or one year. It's going to take time to build those muscles. Was that uh and not an indictment on the coaching, but then uh, the coaching could have been better in those years prior to Sir Mills or um well he had, he he was with his high school coach at once and then right. the then the National Federation took him with an elite coach who could make sure put him on a path to um ward right. off those injuries and make sure he had success, which is why he didn't run the the hundred meters during those times because they knew he couldn't handle it physically and he was going to get hurt. And so a lot of these things, people make it look complicated. It's not complicated. It's really simple. Well, for me, it's very simple. You know, when you have somebody, the talent of Usain, you don't put them in the race because you're setting them up for um for a disaster. If you look at Blake, Blake, when he was just getting started, he almost had a career-ended injury. You know, all these injuries at 17, 18 years old. Mm. And people are thinking he was never going to make it. And then that's why he went back, started hitting the weight room and getting stronger and stronger. And and then the result was the beast. That took some time as well. But his transition was less than Usain's. But but nonetheless, he had to put in a lot of work to get to where he he got to. And I think sometimes the the young people and the shoe companies extend them an offer. But your offer needs to be one that that is long-term, that gives you time to, to develop. You know, there's a case for um, our 10 years, not up yet, but our 10 years coming up now. There's a young lady, I think in 2000, I want to say maybe 2014, she got signed to a 10-year contract and she hasn't lived up to that standard yet. And, you know, 2024 is going to come around where that will be our 10th year and the end of our contract. And I don't even think she has been good enough to even make the um, the U.S. team. Yeah, and she was one of the greatest. And she has 10 years. So you have to have the time and it takes a while to transition from, you know, junior level to senior level, elite type running. So the 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 the, the impact of the coaching, do you have a comment on that? As in, I always wonder if the athlete could because I was I used to swim somewhat and yeah. the gentleman that that really coached me to to some amount of the best I ever was was a gentleman named Alan Roy Marsh. I don't know if you know that name. Yeah, man. Uh, right. So, some work together. <laughs> excellent. Right. So, you know, Alan swam with Andrew Phillips and arguably was as good and was actually better in some things. And, you know, Andrew <laughs> Phillips ended up 
make an Olympic team and that kind of thing. And un- unfortunately, as as Alan tells it, and, uh, you know, is that he went to UGA and there was no the coach. There was no coach. And this is how he's getting ready to go to the Olympics and he coached himself. And wow. his results, I don't think he finaled. But still, he performed well. But it's, yeah. you know, so I was wondering if that was due to coaching. I mean, you know, do you have any thoughts on Well, that? I'm sure Alan is, um, <laughs> if he went to UGA, Georgia, right? Right. I'm sure they had a coach. Maybe he didn't think that the coach was up to par. Um, gotcha. And maybe the coach didn't see the elite in him and wasn't coaching him for beyond the college season, which was happening a lot in the U.S. back then, to our track and field people where the coaches only coach them to what we call the conference championship. Right. And then the last two, three months of the year, when you have to get ready for the world championships, they'll leave you on your own. So when he was, so I think that's probably what he was describing, okay. that he had a coach during the college season. And then at the end of the college season, the coach is not obligated to coach you because they're not getting paid. So they're, they're wasting their time. So now they focus more on recruiting and other things. And then you have to kind of pick up the, the slack and carry yourself all the way through. Uh, I don't know, you know, I'm just assuming that's, yeah, what, yeah, 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 yeah. that's, that's probably more of what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, coaching make a difference because even as young as you are or old as you are, there's a lot of things that you're not going to be able to see because you need a coach's eye, you know. You swimming, your coach can't see what, how you're cutting through the water. And from how the water is moving around, your body can tell if 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 you could go faster. Right. And so they can give you that outside feedback that said, "Hey, when you get to that second turn, uh, you need to dig in a little bit more because I think you you, you know you're backing off too much." And mm-hmm. that feedback, you know, you can look back and say, "Hey, you know what? Maybe I could because I think I didn't do this and didn't do." That. And you can make that adjustment. So coaching is very important. You know, having a coach to develop a long-term plan for you is also very important because as a young person, you're excited and your goal is like, hey, I just want to get there and you want to get there in a straight line. And then the coach has to tell you that, hey, we have to go straight, but when we get to this point, your body's going to be tired, so we need to go down, take a little break, and then cycle back up and then head back in the straight line, on the, on the straight path again. So coaching, um, a, a coach with, with experience especially, will know when to tell you when to back off. While a, a young person will think that they're made out of iron and they can do anything and they don't back off. They just keep going 100% until they get injured. And then that's God or your body's way of telling you, hey, it's time for a break. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. So the, you, well, you, I know, as you said, you're not coaching now. Maybe could you talk about how you got from, you went from athlete to coach or oh, how, you, yeah. how, you, how you made that transition? Well, um, you know, just like anything else, uh, it wasn't my, my um, how would I say? Coaching wasn't my first option for a career. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was tired of being at track meets, you know, traveling all the time on planes. And I wanted to just relax and not see an airplane if I could for six or nine months. So I just wanted to get a job in corporate America, in corporate America and just, you know, transition and be a normal person that gets off on 5 p.m. on a Friday. Mm-hmm. But then when I was doing that, 
everybody that I met, they were like, man, you look really fit, you know, for your age. You know, and I tell them my age. I said, well, we're both the same age. How can you maintain such a physique? And I said, well, I used to run in the Olympics. And they're like, in the Olympics? <laughs> then I started telling them how many Olympics I went to. And they say, are you crazy? What are you doing here? And I'm like, what do you mean? And they're like, if I had your experience, I would be coaching somewhere. Why are you not coaching? I said, but there's so many Olympians. They're like, no, there's, there's not. Because <laughs> I'm like, I'm, all the people I know are Olympians. So I'm like, hey, there's tons of other people that can coach. And these people are telling me, no, I had a high school coach. He couldn't help me. You know, just like your statement with Alan, you mm. know, I had somebody and they couldn't give me what I wanted when I was doing it. And I wish I had somebody with your experience. And then I started looking into it some more. And then I started sending out my resume. But then when I sent out my resume, I got no replies. I made a few changes, wrote it a little bit different, you know, yes. and still no reply. So I said, okay, all right. Then I started getting some rejection letters. And I said, all right, this is good. At least people are replying. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, it's not where it needs to be. I know I'm really good, but something is missing why people are not banging down the doors like people said. And so what I figured out eventually from talking to people that were in the uh, the sporting arena, the other coaches, was I need to get certified as a coach. Right. Because even though I was a top world-class athlete, they're like, but do you know how to coach? I'm like, of course I know how to coach. They're like, well, how do you prove that on a resume? Right. So, oh, that makes sense. <laughs> and so I said, okay. And then one guy told me, he's like, if you knew how to do, like in your, if you know how to be a doctor and to perform brain surgery, you think they're going to let you in the, in the ward for you to perform brain surgery if you don't have proof that, you know, you're a doctor. Yes, yes. And, it, and so th that's what um, happened. I realized if I respected the sport, then I need to go through the process of getting certified so that I could prove to everybody that I my, prove my knowledge right. on a piece of paper. And so that's what, what the, the coaching profession is. You have to, you can't just say, hey, I'm Olympian, Davion Clark can get the job. You have to show something because, you know, if you're a accountant, a doctor, that's what you do. So I went to some USA track and field level one and uh, courses and pass and then added that to my resume. And then all of a sudden I started getting rejection letters, but <laughs> at least, you know, some people would call me back and say, hey, you know, you came down to the, the in the final, we really wanted you, but we had to go with this person, they had more experience. And then uh, one guy called me and said, you know, I want you to take the job, but I can only offer you this much. And I had to turn him down. I said, man, I have to move to another state. Mm -hmm. I have to leave my wife behind. You know, I probably have to sell my house. And he said, that's too much. I, I can't do it for this. And uh, he was upset. He's like, I offer you an opportunity and you turn it down. You don't know what you're throwing away. Nobody's going to call you. And I was <laughs> like, shoot, maybe maybe he was right. Uh, but for the, at the time, it wasn't good for me and my family. And then I, finally, I finally found a, a job, but it was out of state as well. We were living in Austin, Texas, and the job was in um, uh, Chapel Hill, uh, at UNC Chapel Hill yes. in North Carolina. Yes. And so I spoke to my wife and said, hey, you know what? I'm going to go and give this thing a try see how it works. And if it, it turns out I'm I'm good, then, you know, we'll, we're going to relocate to North Carolina. So I went there, won some championships, had some athletes that did very well the first year, mm -hmm. the second year. And then um, after two years at North Carolina, I went to University of Texas, El Paso, stayed there for 10 years until nowhere in uh, Auburn, Alabama, 
my wife coached this young lady to break the world record yes. and we were well she had already gotten this job anyway everybody thinks she got the job because she coached a girl to break the world record but we were offered the job at Auburn University she took it we moved here and then we went to the world championships and had all those success so that's how we ended up where we are now I'm currently not coaching uh, I should clarify I'm not coaching college athletes but what I do I um I sell my workout. So what I do, I go online and I try to find coaches that need help. And um, I can write them a, um, an annual plan, training plan. And then I also have people I write fitness plans for, you know, to stay fit. Excellent. And so so that's what I'm doing now. And then I have a, a track club that uh, was started years ago that was uh, gifted to me by um, a former coach. And so um, we're, we're working on... Um, trying to set up some track camps in Jamaica for this uh, upcoming summer and then a few in the U.S. Right. So how do you get you to to purchase this stuff? You know, to plug your email or your, how, how do they, how people can con contact you? Um, okay. I, 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 on LinkedIn, I'm on LinkedIn and I, yeah. I put that information out on LinkedIn. Um, I'm just, just search for my name, Davian Clark. Right. And, um, if you're on LinkedIn, if you're not on LinkedIn, I'm on Instagram as well. Mm -hmm. uh, Sometimes I run some some posts where you'll see an ad that comes on and say, hey, do you want to buy some um, elite training um, workout plans? Uh, mm -hmm. So that, that's what I, 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 I'm doing right now. But I, I probably should make it more accessible. <laughs> I don't know a lot of people. People don't know how to get in touch with me, but... Um, well, I'll, I'll put it in the, the show notes of this when I post it so that okay. they can right. get I'll to send it. the information. That's, that's, that's wonderful. As I, I, when you were talking about that, David, I was wondering if there's any great difference with college preparation versus Olympic preparation. You know, I, I was actually last night. You remember Sean Bryn? Yeah, man, Sean. I know Sean. Sean was my roommate, 96 Olympics, man. I exactly, know Sean. right. So I'm coaching I said, in Florida. No, I don't know if he leave Florida. Roommate is in Florida, and he said, I said that, you know, tomorrow I went out to David, and I said, David, <laughs> no, you say hello, and then he was, you know, he was uh, quite animated. Yeah. I was asking Sean about this Olympics versus, because he was at LSU, and yes. he took a semester off, and then he worked on his, and his take on it, I thought, that semester off, what he did with that time was he took it, he did some international competitions, got race prep, you know, weights to, to yeah. rest and different kinds of workouts. And that, so there, there wasn't any one thing, it wasn't any magical yeah. thing. He just did everything more and more of it. So I was just wondering the difference from a track. It's, it's the same thing. So, what he's so the, the, the workouts for like a high school or elementary kid is um, you can't give them too much because, you know, they don't have any muscle. So yeah. they can't do 10 things. They don't have any endurance because they haven't been trained. They don't train every day. Right. When you get to high school, you start training every day. You know, you go to training more often. So you, you, you develop more muscle because you're, you're, you're more active. So then now you can do more types of training. Now, for the elite level, for the college level, it's similar to the professional level. The difference is at the college level, um, they have more competition and they have a lot more stress, mental stress put onto them because of school. Right. And so 
they we have to give them a couple of well i i give my athletes a couple of days off so that they can just relax their brain and then come back refreshed at the professional level you don't have that opportunity because somebody's paying you a million dollars a hundred thousand or two hundred thousand and if somebody's paying you a million dollars they're not paying you a million dollars to take the day off or to worry about your stress or what's going on with you and your family Mm -hmm. you have to get it done because this is a you get paid to perform so at the elite level the type of training that you have is um it's more scientific because we um we this it has built in rest but the science also says that you can work more as far as um different type of work so you might do 2 hours of weights you might do some boxing you know some crossfit training you know uh then you do it running specifically and then you could do some swimming and then you could do some biking and you could do some um some um um some um what you call it um like ice therapy and um some kind of re- some type of rehab um situation so those things and that's one day and basically that could be 10 hours so as a college athlete you probably only have like 3 hours to do all those things as a professional you wake up 6 a.m. And you keep going until the end of the day, until the sun goes down. Wow, it's, it's just really it's it's more intense. It's it's uh, just a whole different kind of thing. Yeah, you so know. it's basically the same training, but instead of fifteen twenty minutes of doing it, is hours. Yeah, because oh. I use, I coach our professional NFL players, right. and when they come to my track workout and do speed, after they get done, they go back and go do boxing. And then they go pick up their prep lunches where they have somebody make a lunch for them specifically. Hey, with this amount of protein, this amount of that, they come back to, and then they do two hours of weights and then they go do some stretching and then they go do some yoga. So, you know, the whole, you're like, what, what do they, what do they do? They do a whole lot of stuff to make sure that their body is physically ready. I think everybody needs to realize that all of this costs money. So this oh, yeah. is, you know, all of this is never is doing this for free. Uh, you would have yeah. probably you are a world class coach in track, and the, yes. the NFL guy is just coming over to you for a little speed work. I mean, it's <laughs> it's like you're getting, you know, it's it's very. It just shows the econo- economics. I mean, yeah. it's wonderful that the track athletes, and I wish this would happen in the states as well. They breakthrough with some version of Diamond League. I don't know what it would, Gold League, anything they want to call it over yeah. there, but, you know, the interest, you know, it, it'll be, I suppose that's a difficult to garner the interest. And, no, not really. The, the, see, the business of track and field has to be run like a business if you want to return. If Say for you instance, say you had a, a billion dollars and you really love track and field and you wanted to give someone the track and field, you, you would a lot probably a million dollars out of that to help them. But how could they get a hundred million from you? They have to show a business plan because you're not going to give a hundred million to people that are not going to, Hey, this is the, because if you invested in in, in any other business, you'd like to see that hundred million dollar grow, you know, if you're investing it. So when you donate it's almost the same thing. So with the business that track and feel, me personally, I think like the the J3 
and the yeah. world athletic I've been to their headquarters is too small. Mm. You don't have enough people. Right. They outsource marketing, right? Mm. So they don't have a marketing floor. <laughs> <laughs> they outsource logistics and travel, you know? So they don't have anybody in-house to do all those things. And mm. that's why they're not getting the um, um, people that are willing to invest because they're like, well, you guys don't do anything. No, it's a great idea to outsource because you can save more money. But then you'd have a bigger budget. You know, people would be willing to give you $100 million if you say, well, you know, my annual budget is four or $500 million. Then, you know, people are like, okay, so what do you spend your $500 million on? And you can show them, hey, this is what we do. So they're like, okay, this is a big business. The NFL in the U.S., the NFL as a headquarters, you know, they don't outsource their marketing. They have their own marketing department. They work with outsource marketers, but they have their own standalone units. You know, they have their own nonprofit foundation. They have they have all the aspects of it. You know, mm. they have NFL facilities in every city that where they have um, a team, and then they have another NFL for outreach facility that they built. So they spend a lot of money on infrastructure. Mm. If we um. If we say like the Jamaica Track and Field Association, how many tracks have they put down in Jamaica that they own? Oh, then then you said the Jamaica Football Federation. How many soccer fields they put down? They have a thing in every parish, yeah. But have they built any stadiums in Jamaica? So then, when you go to a sponsor and say I want hundred million dollars. You don't build any facilities. You don't have any infrastructure. They're like, so what you paying? What you are spending the money on? Salaries. They're like, no, I'm not giving you money so you could get fat. <laughs> so that's the problem. Our business needs to be run as a business, so okay. that when we bring people in, they can see that what the value and value is. Right. That's my opinion, you know. I'm, and I'm not knocking the people. I'm just saying that's, you know, I went to business school at University of Miami, and so that's how I see it. The the critics of that playing devil's advocate would be for little Jamaica would be a challenge to but, garner the, the, but that's the of thing. funds. All right. So think about what you said for little Jamaica. All right. Yeah. When we got to the World Cup, right? Mm-hmm. Did they say we they say we're one of the smallest countries to make it, right? Yes. We have one of the smallest budgets, right? Yes. We haven't invested like that anymore. They have not returned. In track and field, we have invested and we've returned to the glory days of winning gold medals. Puma came in and make a large, a substantial substantial amount of investment in our island. And we have gotten returned and they have gotten a return. If if we are going into the business of sport and we're not investing, you're not going to reach where, like you're saying, uh, I was telling your aunt um, that um, if you want to have a guy win the 100 meters in the Olympics and your annual budget for that guy is less than 500,000 US dollars, you're not going to have a gold medalist. Right. And so it doesn't matter how small Jamaica is. If we have a guy or a girl and we are not putting a lot of money in it, you're not going to get any return because that person needs a massage therapist that can travel with them 24 7. They need a chiropractor. Those are two people who their salaries alone, you know, 
at their regular job is going to be over 200,000 US dollars. So if I'm a guy making $50,000, how can I hire a doctor to travel with me that makes $200,000 and take him away from his um his clients and his patients? Mm-hmm. And those, that's just two. And those are not the two most important people. Then you have the coach. Yes. The coach could be coaching 10 people and making 10 times the salary. And then they go and coach you alone. So you take them away from the 10 people. You have to honor them and pay that salary that they're going to be missing. So there's a sub, there's a substantial amount of investment, and not to mention the logistics of moving all these people with you everywhere you need to go, from city to city, all across Europe. You know, at the end of that year, that five hundred thousand might just be your expenses. <laughs> <laughs> wow! So yeah. the, the the team, how how commonplace is that though? Is that an oh, elite? It's very. Um, I use the example of. Um, Justin Gatlin, when he just first started, mm. Justin Gatlin had a team. Mm. We used to call, go to meets and we were like, Justin, we have 20 minutes before the bus leaves. And he's like, oh man, I'm getting a massage. He has his massage therapist that travels with him from his first trap meet. Wow. Mm-hmm. He had his own massage therapist and Asafa had the same, but his massage therapist was with MVP. But Justin had a, a massage therapist for Justin. Wow. And he had a, and that guy was a doctor and he had his office in Virginia. And Justin was training in North Carolina. So do the math on how that's gonna yes. work. <laughs> exactly that. You know, anybody listening to it, that's a that's a good little distance, you know. Yeah, and nice Virginia thing. is not one of those uh, cheap states. Yes. So you, I'm <laughs> I can guarantee you it's a doc living in a two million dollar house. Wow. <laughs> so you can't be paying doc fifty thousand dollars to be your therapist. But uh, but you know, going out and finding the the best doc chiropractors, the best massage therapists, the best sports therapists, um, all these things, you know, is important because if you want to be the top person in the world, you have to have elite status. You know, Usain used to go to one of the best uh, doctors in in Germany. You know, that guy's not cheap. I actually called him one time and tried to get him to work on one of my athletes, and he said. David, I only work with elite people, man. You can send your guy, but I'm going to send him to one of my assistants. <laughs> and guess what? The assistant was very expensive. It cost me tens of thousands of dollars to see the assistant. <laughs> wow. Oh, wow. So <laughs> I don't know where to go in that one. The, you need to go intern with them, man. Yeah, I tell you. <laughs> the, the fact that something you mentioned, and I, I'll put this to you because my friend, she trains at JC, the young lady that in that same race that Lacina's athlete won, the Jamaican yes. athlete, that she PB'd and never made the final. It's very interesting. That's that short young lady. Her name is escaping me. Oh, Megan. Right, yes. Megan, right. So she would see she sees Megan and I think she sees her to this day. And she was just putting it to me that Megan could consider because she did she PB'd and she couldn't do the, get to the top eight. And she goes, she has a medal. I think it's an Olympic medal. Yeah, she has that a, she a, could a, consider just doing a different event, doing the longer event. Because yes. she can hurdle, just to learn, and she she's seen her out there. She looks strong, 
just do something else, just use that hurling ability. And this is a point that a lot of the kids that come to me from high school, they tend to be doing the shorter distance. Why don't you guys do something different? Yes. The success in life is do some do things other people are doing and do, that, do yes. it well. You know, is there is it what are your views on that? And is there any way we can assist them to that? So the Jamaica government, the J3As, they signed a um a working agreement with Kenya to send Jamaicans. Uh, athletes to Kenya to get mid-distance training and long-distance training. Sure. How many Jamaicans have gone to Kenya to train with the the um, the Kenyan team? Not I can many. tell you. <laughs> One. <laughs> okay. One. Oh. Mr. Lode Watts' son, we won the 800. Marvin. Yeah. Marvin went. That's the only person. Nobody has been. So we need 800, 1,500, you know, 5,000, 10,000 runners. We have the talent, but nobody wants to do it. Just like you're saying, you're making a suggestion, but people don't want to do, they don't want to do the hard work, you know? And so it's not that we don't have talent. We have talent. We just have to have people that can open their minds and see. Jamaica has talent in music. People can write music. People can sing, you know. Right. So you can say, "Hey, do I continue to sing and make five thousand dollars, or should I write these beats and sell it to somebody?" Yes. Yes. Which is easier? <laughs> it's easier to write beats, and I can do more. And I don't have to go to all these places rather than me singing and getting five thousand. I can write ten, send out, and get fifty thousand. Right. So what we have is we have people that are not thinking about this as a business. And once we start thinking about this thing as a business, we could tackle it. You know, speed. I, I don't know if I told. I, I I don't think I've told you, but back in nineteen, I want to say nineteen ninety two, the Blue Jays baseball team yeah. came to Jamaica to recruit. Okay. And when they came to Jamaica, they asked for the fastest track athletes, and they got five people. One of them was Donovan Powell, which is Asafa Powell's brother. Yeah. And they went to Canada and tried out, and he hit some home runs, and they loved his size because he's big and powerful. Mm -hmm. Hit all those home runs, and they wanted him to go in them in their development league, and they would teach him baseball. Mm -hmm. And they give him the number and said, "Call us back," and he never did. He continued to run track. Mm -hmm. You know, he's chasing his dream, but he could have been a baseball player and make. $10 million and win Super, I mean, a Super Bowl, whatever championships baseball players. Yeah, right? They call it World Championships. World, yeah. world Series, World yes, Series. Yeah. So we're only restricted by our minds. You know, parents are out there. They could put their kids in baseball. They could put their kids in golf, swimming, give them opportunity to see which one of these sports, you know, that talent can shine in. But, you know, I, I do think that we, our, our country has um, natural talent, but we don't have a lot of opportunities. Everybody's doing track, but that's not the only opportunity. Some of those people could be doing netball, volleyball, basketball, baseball, football. I just heard about a guy from Kingston College that went to America on a scholarship, track scholarship, 
when a football coach at the school called him and said, must try us for the football team. And he made the team. And, in you know, he's hoping to make it to the NFL here in the next wow. year or two. Wow. You know, those opportunities are out there. But most of the time when presented with these opportunities to play on the baseball team, the NFL, the you know, to showcase your talent, a lot of people just don't. They're scared because you don't know. You're like, well, I don't have enough experience. And so mm-hmm. that's where yeah, just choose the path less traveled. You know, sometimes the success will lie there. You, you mentioned yeah. something though, Dylan, because the and I, I want to hear your take on this. Uh, my son, I think I was telling you, he's starting to do, do a little suit. I don't know where it will go. I was telling Sean last night as well. But my old coach was talking to me about periodicity and periodization and how you they, he learned about this years ago nobody would listen to him he talks to this blue in the face and he's a firm believer in this is that concept that you do you sort of you have breaks and you change up your program and basically the less is more that's that's the essence of what he was trying to explain to me so in that first of all how, what, how do you feel about do you use that, those sorts of tools in your program uh, that's why Jamaican coaches are so good even though we don't have the facilities or the money, we're masters of periodization. And that's why Shelley is always at her best at the World Championships and Elaine is always at her best. And Sharika, you know, we have mastered that art to peak these guys and girls at the right time, at the right place. You see in both all of those great performances are due to periodization. And, and that's what I was talking to you when I said the science behind the sport. And the science behind the sport is what makes the difference, you know. And that's why Sean tell you about the rest. You know, periodization is about a cycle that goes up and down like a stock market graph. And it goes up and down and the lows is your rest and the high is, is peak performance. And if you get the peak performance at the World Championships and the Olympics, that's when you get yourself to shine. And so without taking those coaching courses, you won't learn how to do all those things. If you're just a person who loves a sport, then you won't know how to pick your athletes. And periodization is important in evening soccer. You know, if, you know that's why you say in the in the World Cup, a lot of guys didn't play the first round in the first game. A coach didn't want to put them out there, have them score six goals and peak too early. Want the scoring to be at the end. Messi didn't play the first game, right? Right. But he played the last game. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah, so that's part of the coaching. Know when to hold your athletes back and when to let them go. Uh, and we're talking about it in simple terms, but it's it's a very complex thing. Yes. The, the 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 best coaches in any sport are able to peak their athletes two or three times in the same year. Right. Elite coaches. Yes. You know how to bring them back down and how to get them back up. Exactly. So I make it look easy. <laughs> exactly. So my point is with that concept, and Sean was talking about the fact that, especially with COVID and other and other techniques, you say I guess you never want to show all his hand. It's intensity. You're able to do some intense workouts, so you can. You, know, you don't have to push this volume on the athlete, and so did all of that. I mean that. I think so I, what happened with Sean is Sean was an athlete before. 
He had a, a coach that coached him before, many different coaches, right? right? So he's experienced different styles. And then when he had his best years, he had a coach that he believed in that used something different, excuse me, that all the other coaches were doing. Right. And then know that he's a coach, he starts reading about the periodization. He starts trying it. And he realized that there's more than one way to skin the cat. Mm. And he's able to get the same results without going through all these other things that he used to do because that's the way it was, you know, it's written in the book. That's that's the way you have to do it. It's kind of like you, you know, you're a doctor. And in the book, it tells you if you want to do knee surgery, this is the process. But you realize that there's another way to do it. The book says it this way, and it takes you four hours, but you have a way that you can do it in an hour. You know? Right. So that's what periodization is. is a shorter way to get the same result. And you don't have to go through the four-hour surgery. You can't do it in an hour. How mm -hmm. would that benefit as a knee surgeon that would give you? You could do more surgery. Yeah. You could schedule four surgeries a day. Yes. You make a lot more money. So periodization allows you to go to competition, be at your best, perform at your best, make more money while still following the same rules, going towards your big goal, which is the, the world championships or the Olympics. And sometimes periodization is not even only about um, um about this year. Oh, it's like me, when I do it, my periodization takes into account first year an athlete mentally is not going to be there. So I try to get them strong physically. And then by the second year, then we try to work on them mentally. And then the third year, I'm hoping that the mental and the physical mesh together. And that hopefully that third year is when I have the success. But if it doesn't happen that third year, the fourth year is another year experience under your belt and you're more than prepared and ready to go. So that's what I look at my four-year college um, plan when I write for my athletes. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. So how do you, since you mentioned, it's getting late, but I have to ask you this, about <laughs> your, your, the mind game and the psychology, the mental aspect. How do you prepare yes. them? For well, that? so you know what it feels like. You, everybody knows what pressure feels like. Your heart starts beating fast, you know, you start, your palms start sweating. So the only way you're going to be good at pressure situation is if you put somebody in pressure situations. If you look at the, the, the military, the military has something called live fire. Live oh. fire is when you go out there and they start shooting live rounds of ammunition at you. Because oh. that's the only way to teach you what to do in war. If you get up and stand up during live fire, you get shot. You're dead. <laughs> <laughs> So you stay down and you have to do the cat crawl or the whatever they're teaching, uh, what they used to teach me in um, ROTC or yeah. cadet core. Yeah. So you have to use your technique. So the best way to teach people is to put them under stress, put them in a stressful situation. In swimming, I don't know, I, I don't, they did this to you, but they yeah. used to throw the kids into the, the ocean or throw them into the pool. Yeah. And then you have to just battle and learn to swim. That's how I learned to swim, exactly. <laughs> so that's, that's a exactly high-pressure situation. That's a high-pressure situation. Yeah. And so with our athletes that we coach, 
we put them under daily stress where the rest is minute, but they still have to perform at a high intensity and they have to figure out how to do it. And some people figure it out and some people can't, but you just keep giving, feeding it to them. And eventually if you have 10 years, maybe it will take 10 years for them to get it. But most of the time in college, in the college system, I only have four years high school, the same thing. You only have four to six years. So they have a limited amount of time to learn how to deal with that pressure. And that's why we, we have what we call late bloomers where the people that don't catch it the first time, but you keep putting them in the situation and eventually over time, it makes sense. You know, yeah. the light bulb just clicks, but you don't know when that light bulb is going to cl click. It's taught through the experience because there's no other way to do it. As I said, there's so. no, there's no other way because you can't read a book. <clears throat> could you? I don't know how many surgeries you've done, but if you ever did a surgery, would you be able to figure out how to do a surgery from reading a book? It's impossible. That's, that's the difference between okay. the practical part of being yes. uh, any practitioner of anything. You can talk about it, but yes. say, okay, we'll do it now. And then yeah. it's like, you know, my friend of mine used to talk about putting in what they call an IV or intravenous line. Okay. I think that goes in your hand. I say, well, you know, you're going to talk about it. I say, all right, so when you're going to do it. I leave you. Let's say they go look at you and say, okay, your turn. Back to you, you know. So, you know, something like that. Uh, when when you mentioned Damien, this is Kate. I was just thinking about when you mentioned you saying, and I remember seeing you saying early. You know, I, I think it's a pretty. It's almost viral video of him doing the four hundred. I think he won that four hundred in chance. Yes, yes. And it's a really even from my untrained eye, thrashing about with the arms, and really looking very inefficient. That's just talent. Yes. So the teaching technique. In my sport that I keep mentioning, swimming is they usually say after you reach around 12, it, and it's, it's, it's of no benefit, it's difficult to do. Is that they corrected you saying totally, he, this is, in my opinion, this is part of what made him so fast. I mean, can technique be taught, you know, even later on? Well, what happened in your sport of swimming, there's not a lot of 40 year old swimmers, right? Gotcha. Oh, right. So a lot of people give up on swimming after. Just like gymnastics, yeah. after they get to 18, 20, they, that's retirement age for most people. They do it yeah. when they're young. Yeah. Uh, so it can be taught, but, you know, typically a lot of people, you know, they get discouraged and they quit. So they never get to that point. Um, yes, with the, with especially with swimming, you guys are going with the old age thing, just like they do with golf and soccer and a lot of the ball sports. They tell you that it's a skill. And if you weren't learning it at three years old, and if you haven't mastered it at 10, then you're not going to get it anymore because they figure your brain is fresh and you can't learn all those things. I didn't do soccer when I was young. You know, I didn't go to soccer camps or anything. But I thought I could be good at it. Yeah. And when I got to Casey's, when I started playing, but obviously because no, I never played for any club, they say, well, you can't be a soccer player because you never play for any club. I said, well, that don't make any sense. I say, I'm faster than everybody. I'll beat them to the ball. And then all I have to do is kick it past the goalkeeper. And they didn't believe me. So I got no opportunity in Jamaica to play. Right. But then I went to high school in America. And the soccer coach said, man, we want you. I heard you're Jamaica. You must can play. I said, I didn't tell him. I, they didn't put me on the team. I said, yeah, man, of course I can play. And my first game, I scored a hat-trick. Wow. <laughs> and all I did was 
get the ball, outrun everybody, and then it was just me and the keeper, and I have to decide which way to get the ball. But it sounds simple, you know. <laughs> Obviously, you know, there was a learning phase to learn all dribbling and how to kick and where to kick and all those things mm-hmm. and getting it wrong many times. But all those things can be taught, but, you know, it takes time. And with swimming, in Jamaica, if we're only teaching people how to swim in the pool, there's only so many hours of swimming you can do because the fatigue of cutting through the water is going to get to you. I'm sure in the U.S. have some way I'm practicing technique without being in water. Right. You know? I know. Or or maybe you're in water, but you won't drown because, you know, it's maybe only this much water or whatever it is, you know? You can still work on the technique of it. Now, them have some kind of machine that you can use and build up your muscles and all of what you mentioned, they have yes. <laughs> so yeah. all of what you mentioned, I'm a bit out of it, but yes, we start my yeah. research. All of it is there. Yes. Yeah, but how much of that do we have locally in in on the island? And uh, that's not too the much. Problem. Yes. yes yeah, I don't and think so, so so that's why it's hard for the coach to teach all the things he wants because he doesn't have the science behind him. And so once Jamaica, all their sports. Once we are able to get some of all that science to our people, it'll be better. Uh-huh. You know, they use 3D to train people now, uh, AR technology. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, AR and VR, that's what they're using now. Teach people boxing, uh, reaction drills. You don't, you, you just stay at home. So for the, for the track and field, you do think technique can be corrected right up. You, that's, that's yes. your. Yes, you can still teach. You can still teach, but there's some people that have it, and some people, it don't matter how you teach, they're not going to get it. But the only person that can tell the difference between both is a trained professional elite coach, somebody with a coach's eye. They have an app called Coach's Eye for basketball, football, track and field. But if you go to Mr. Mills and him, uh, you know Usain Bolt, sprint coach, and he sees you coming out the blocks, he can instantly tell if you're going to be an Olympic champion or if it's not going to work out for you. <laughs> so it's interesting you mentioned that because this is partially why I brought this up because Mr. Mills used to go, well, see my father at one point and he was saying that, well, I don't, I'll just say his name, that I think it was Tyson Game. He mm-hmm. was saying that. But he was saying that he, Matara was saying he has some flaws. He used to kick out his legs, you know, yeah. kind of no indictment. It, it's just reality. And then that, that didn't seem very efficient. He said, and someone's come and say, yes, and that's not his only flaw. That was his, his he has yeah. several others. And yeah, that was he, has several his... other, he has several other flaws. And... So it, 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 it seems like that, that in his mind, that could be corrected based on how he coached those words. And yeah. you know, to see the difference in your saying, and even the, all these things used to come in my feed when you see Shelly as when she was going to one those girls, yeah, in that famous video, she looks really tired and she's yeah. in the back. Mm-hmm. And then it's like to this day, you know, she's night like, and day. It's it's <laughs> uh, it's like I don't, this is what the athlete looks like to me, man. My, my own trainer, I mean, this is what I put in the textbook, yes, you know, you, you know it, it, it's really it's almost beautiful, you know, so. That that seems so, so so yeah so you do think that it can be corrected then you think that oh yeah definitely but not for everybody you have to have certain innate skills 
Mm. One of the things that we look at is uh, your explosive power, mm -hmm. not just your strength. Because okay. you can be strong and bench 300 pounds, but if you don't know, power is how you use it. Mm -hmm. If you don't have explosive power with, with the ability to bench 300 pounds, then it makes no sense. So one of the exercises they use to test power is to see how high you can jump off the ground. You don't have to be great at it, but you have to be able to have some kind of baseline. And if you don't have that, then it doesn't matter how we teach you. You're not going to be very fast because you don't have that explosive push. Okay, wonderful. Well, I think, I think I've chatted you out thoroughly, Daniel. So I just have a party question here. And uh, I think I like to ask people this. And how do you, well, first of all, all track and field, the men, the men part of it, not being as good as we would like. And I'm talking about Jamaica. And yes. I, well, you mentioned some ways in which we could improve the sport. Generally, is there any way that we can improve not only men in Jamaica, but our track and field in general, locally? Any ideas? Oh, I have plenty. <laughs> I have plenty, but um, no, we're doing a good job, you know, especially with our budget and the infrastructure that we have. Uh, we maximize the coaching part. We don't, we don't have the budget, so we can't maximize that. We don't have the infrastructure so we can maximize maximize that the medical um and when i'm saying medical i mean sports medicine type stuff that we need now yes. uh, we don't have enough because we might have a chiropractor but if the chiropractor learned from a non a non sports chiropractor is different because sport chiropractors do things a little bit different because the athlete that they're working with is different mm. and they know that this adjustment that you wouldn't do to an 80-year-old woman, you can do it to a shot putter and you won't have no problems. Mm -hmm. And he'll probably tell you you probably need to do it every day five mm -hmm. times <laughs> for him to feel good. But mm -hmm. the 80-year-old woman that never lift weights in her life, you wouldn't you wouldn't dare do that to them, you know? Mm -hmm. So we have a, a lot of the sports-specific stuff that we need to improve on as far as our, on, on, on the medical part. And then we need a lot of sports-specific equipment for the medical part that we need to get, which obviously, you know, in the medical field, those machines cost hundreds of thousands. In the weightlifting and strength and conditioning part, we have a lot of equipment that we need in our gyms. Uh, we have there. But a school like Calabar produces a lot of throwers, and they don't have those machines. Some of those machines cost $25,000. So, you know, $25,000 US dollars. Shipping them down to Jamaica end up making it, you know, almost twice as much. Yes. But we don't need that in Calabar. We need that in Calabar, Kingston College, Clarendon College. Every school should have one, you know. So we have a lot of stuff that if we had the talent that we had, it would make us so much difference in all the sports, yes. you know. So um, infrastructure, having uh, um uh, weight equipment, you know, those are some of the things, you know, the things I've mentioned, I think those are the things that we need. Um, you know, talent with the coaches, the coaching education is tremendous. Uh, we have some of the most qualified coaches. Uh, however, our coaches all are centralized on sprints and nobody's taking up the mantle to coach the 800 and the 10,000 and the 5,000. And 
we we definitely need to change that because we have the skill set. We just need to turn it into a longer distance. <laughs> mm. So we have to find out a way how to get that done. You know, uh, we get great support from our government, you know, Jamaica government. Uh, obviously, you know, they are restricted on what they can do. They provide the support. So we need corporate um, Jamaica to step up and give us the rest. Or if not, we have to find people from outside of Jamaica like Puma to help in, in, in that resolve. But, you know, how do you um, attract international sponsorship, you know? You know, how can you sell that to them? But mm. I think we can because people come to Jamaica to vacation all the time, and those are the same sponsors. Mm. So we have opportunity to have FaceTime with them when they're there. Mm. That's when we need to do our selling because when they leave and you call them, they're not going to pick up the phone. So I think, and this is my idea, you know, Minister of Tourism and Mr. Ed Bartlett, you know, yes. invite <laughs> get him to invite all of those people that we want. Mm. And then when they get there, we trap them in a room <laughs> and talk to them and try to do our pitch. And, uh, and and I think stuff like that is what we need to do, the marketing and getting the um, the money that we need to have the success. But, mm. uh, you know, you know, we can't complain. We're doing, we're shooting way above our head and we have lots of success, but that's the way we can get better. Oh, well, I thank you, sir. I thank yeah. you very, very much. Uh, I'm going to hit the stop.